Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogyourself.com and complete the contact form and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. We get asked all the time what the most important thing to consider is when training and living with a hunting dog, and they're often surprised when they hear us answer with proper nutrition. It's pretty obvious when you think about it though. It doesn't matter how well the dog is trained if it doesn't have the right fuel. The saying garbage in, garbage out rings true in dog nutrition. Yukonuba's premium performance lineup goes beyond just protein and fat with a number of different formulas designed to fuel your dog's specific activity level while supporting their recovery and optimizing their nutrient delivery. The proof is in the pudding, or lack thereof, when you make the switch to Yukonuba. You'll see immediate results in your dog's energy level and drive. They have a formula for every type of dog from your hardest working dog in the field to your laziest retired dog on the couch. Head on over to yukanubasportingdog.com to find the right formula for your hunting partner. Make the switch today and let Yukonuba fuel your dog so you can focus on what you and your dog actually love to do, work. Welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. This month we have Chris Domenici on the line. Chris, how you doing, man? Like I said, if I had a tail, I'd wag it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. That's a little bit better than uh, me always living the dream, right? They're both good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, let's go ahead and get started with with uh, what we always do. Tell everybody where you're from and what got you into this crazy world of uh, gun dogs. So I live in the eastern part of Pennsylvania, which uh, is known as the Lehigh Valley. Um, been here all my life pretty sure they're gonna put me in the ground here um been a lifelong pennsylvanian uh enjoy all the the fantastic outdoor opportunities that come along with pennsylvania hunting fishing hiking um like i live 20 minutes from the appalachian trail um just just a beautiful area um what got me into gun dogs uh was like a lot of people i'm sure was somewhat of an accident i was actually living on a farm down in Bucks County at the time, renting a room in a farmhouse. And uh, one of the other tenants on the farm came home with two puppies, but uh, she only really, she only wanted one. The <laughs> other one, the other one was sort of extra baggage. And the people that were selling the puppies said, well, if you take both of them, 
we'll give you both for $25 each. And uh, guess who ended up with the other the other dog? So, <laughs> well, well, I've always heard that, you know, nothing good can come from a, a free dog. I can't say I've heard anything coming bad from a $25 dog, though. <laughs> I often say it was the best $25 I ever spent on anything, <laughs> anything dog related. So, yeah. Um, and, and he was, uh, he was, he was a bit of a mutt. He was a lab Chesapeake mix. Um, but that's really what got me started into it. I had not owned a dog ever in my life before. Um, I was 24 or 25 at the time. Didn't know my elbow from third base when it came to, um, training dogs yeah. or anything about them. Um, if anybody listening has had a Chesapeake or some form of a Chesapeake, they know that they are quite thick skinned and stubborn, but actually that turned out to be, um, a benefit to me because I did everything wrong that you can imagine. And, <laughs> As we all and, did. <laughs> yeah. And because he was so thick about it or, or has such a strong will, it, it didn't bother him. If I would have done that to any of my subsequent dogs, it, it would have broke them. And yep. that's that's the kind of thing that we as owners and trainers, we need to pay really good attention to and not make those mistakes in subsequent dogs. Yep. You know, we think we're always training the dog or teaching the dog. Don't be so close minded that the dog can't teach you something. There you go. I, I love that. It's a, it's a good rule because. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Is every dog is not so much a lesson that you can apply to that dog. Sometimes it is, but it's really a lesson to apply to the next dog and, and two, Ooh. three dogs down the road. And and to to your point, you know, we kind of get lucky uh, in a lot of ways and what we get away with on the first dogs usually, right? You know, not everybody's right. that lucky, but usually we are. Uh, so kind of walk me through how, how your hunting and love for dogs grew from that lab and Chessie mix. So that turned me into a duck hunter. Um, some might even say, those that know me, an avid or perhaps rabid dog, duck hunter. <laughs> um, you know, it happens. One, yeah, yeah. You, know, you go from one shotgun to multiple shotguns to bags of decoys and boats. Oh, yeah. And boats, you know. Um, and that's just how that developed. But he was also a really, he was a very versatile dog. Um, he would hunt grouse when duck season was over. We would head north and my uncle has property up in Bradford County. And uh, we would be chasing grouse up there when they were very plentiful. I'm talking 20 flushes a day. You know, they were really prolific. And after about two or three flushes, he would, I could see a light bulb go on and he'd go, oh yeah, I remember this. We're not, we're not swimming after ducks anymore. We're chasing <laughs> grouse. And, you know, he would, he would just come around like that. And he was a great, a great grouse dog. He flushed the same grouse. Anybody who's hunted grouse know that you can flush them multiple times. Yeah. If you pay attention where they fly, he flushed the same grouse five times till I finally was able to kill it. You know, <laughs> um, Persistence. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of dog he was. He was very persistent like that. Now I have to ask, did you, did you actually shoot on the previous four times or did it take five times for you to get over not being able to put a beat on it and just point and shoot? 
So you've grass hunted too before, it sounds like. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, the first three flushes, I didn't even get a chance to click the safety off. Uh, <laughs> the fourth one, I got a shot, and then the fifth one, I finally was able to hit it. There you and, go. So it's it's not like he had to forgive you on the first four misses, no, right? He no, only had to forgive no. one miss. So okay, the the persistence makes a little more sense now. <laughs> yeah. So then I, after him, I had a, another another lab, a chocolate lab. That was actually uh, offspring of my sister-in-law's dog. She bred her yellow lab, and she got a choice of either a stud fee or pick of a litter, and she transferred the pick to me. Um, that nice. was a chocolate lab. He was a very, uh, I guess the term would be biddable dog, and just just a friendliest dog. Anybody could watch him. Anybody could babysit him. You know, He was just fantastic. Didn't have the same hunt drive that the previous dog had, uh, wasn't real keen on going into cold water. Okay. Um, so, you know, just that's how some dog, he liked to hunt grouse. He liked to hunt dove. Um, if the, if the water wasn't too cold, he was okay with it. That kind of thing. <laughs> so you had one wet dog and then a dry dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, after him, this is where I made the transition into pointing dogs, Weimariners. I have a Weimariner now after he unexpectedly passed away, we, and this is something else I don't do. So a little background on me. I'm a recovering engineer. I typically don't <laughs> make don't make emotional decisions. I don't I don't make decisions without a spreadsheet, right? Yep. Very analytical. And, yeah. And after about two or three weeks, we couldn't stand it anymore. And I ended up there's a, a not far from my house, a guy had bred some Weimariners. Um I end up with this Weimariner somewhat by accident um that's a whole nother story in and of itself how i was able to track this guy down after talking to him like two weeks previous and uh that was my intro into uh pointing dogs although the chesapeake i took him on a chucker hunt one time at a game farm and all of a sudden he locked up one time and my buddies and i are looking at each other i'm like I don't know, guys. I've never really seen him do this before, but I'm going to trust him. And sure enough, there was a, there was a chucker, you know, three, three, four feet off the end of his nose. <laughs> so we've heard of pointing labs, but I think you're the first person that's talked about a pointing Chessie, right? <laughs> yeah, he was he was something else. So so, so you, you looked into ahead. your lab and Chessie mix to kind of get the ball rolling on ducks. And then you, you just said that you kind of more or less lucked into your, by accident, your, your wine. You know, how do you get so lucky to to keep just falling into a dog that kind of opens your whole world up into a whole new passion? Um, I don't know. Um, being at the right place at the right time. Um, just I guess I look back on it as a true blessing to be matched up with some really terrific dogs. I, I also tell people, you know, there's a whole lot in that dog, any dog, you know whether it's a hunting dog or just a house dog, there's a lot going on in that brain. Oh, yeah. Every, every dog has potential. We, it's up to us again, as the trainers and the teachers to capitalize on that potential. Yes. It's all there. They're, they, every one of them has it, you know? Um, and the, the first Weimariner I had, like I said, I never had a pointer before. I don't think I started pheasant hunting with him until, I'm going to say he was close to four years old because he was, like I said, more of an emotional purchase. Um, and 
I really didn't see myself as a pheasant hunter, which you're, is hard to. You were still to caught up in your your passion for duck hunting. Yeah, maybe just a little bit, you know, leaving that behind because of the pain of losing a dog unexpectedly, you know, losing a dog affects everybody differently. And, um, it just, it, it, yeah, I guess it changed me a little bit, but, um, so we end up with Boomer. That was the first Weimariner. And like I said, I don't think I hunted, I'd have to check to figure it, figure it out, but I'm going to say it was close to four years Mm. till I really started pheasant hunt with him seriously you know? okay um but again he had a lot of natural ability that just needed a little tweaking and guidance here um i don't know about other retrieving or uh, pointing breeds or other folks that own weimariners but both of my weimariners had a, a have an unbelievably strong desire to retrieve okay um it's just, I don't know if it's part of the breed, but they've both been like this. Um, I would say either one of them had more retrieving desire than my labs put together. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Well, so so you're on your second Weimaraner now. Am I understanding that correct? That is correct. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old Weimaraner uh, named Hans. Okay. So did you just happen upon Hans like the other dogs or, or did you do, did you kind of realize your passion for pheasant hunting and upland hunting and do, do your typical research and everything kind of like what's typically advised to uh, somebody getting their next dog? So I, I realized that I wanted to continue to be more of a pheasant hunter than a duck hunter i mean i pursue other things too i i turkey hunt in the spring i deer hunt um you know but those are all sort of sidelines compared to pheasant hunting so i've i've decided i guess i decided um that i was going to continue down that route so second weimariner didn't exactly fall into this guy um but a little bit i had been doing some research on Weimariner uh, breeders trying to find another one because um, not everybody just happens to have a litter ready to go. So my wife and I were both doing some research. I don't think I really knew that she was doing research. I had spoken to a breeder um, up in northern Pennsylvania. He had initiated a breeding between his uh, a male and a female that he had, and it turned out it didn't take and sort of at the last minute, my wife had connected with uh, a breeder down in southern Pennsylvania, almost down into the into Maryland, very close to the Maryland line. Uh, name of the, the kennel is Mavericks Night Weimariners. And unbeknownst to me, my wife and her had been communicating and turned out that she had one male Weimariner left. Mm. So it was meant to be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, we we went down to visit one time and there's a whole, as you can imagine, I forget how many was in his litter, 10 or 12. There was a bunch of them. And, you know, we look over and I forget, I think he had a black collar on and she said something about, yeah, the black one would be yours, you know. And I look down and in all these feet and ears, there's, there's that one with the black collar looking up at me. <laughs> so, so um, that's how we ended up with them. 
What caught your imagination? What made you want to switch from ducks to the parrots? You know, what, what got you chasing them primarily? I think it has to do with just the dog work that is an ongoing process throughout the hunt. Um, don't get me wrong. I love duck hunting. I, there's, there's some days like today was spitting a little bit of snow up here in Pennsylvania, gray clouds. And I'm thinking, boy, it would be a good day to be on the lake. Yeah. You know? And, but it, it's, there's not as much interaction and, and teamwork between, uh, a retriever because there's a lot of idle time, you know, when you're sitting in the duck blind waiting, um, like I said, it's, there's, it's, it's got a certain drive to it, but when you're out in the field and you're busting through cover together and you know, you're, you're watching your dog and all of a sudden his behavior changes right there. I mean, that's, that's really, and then they lock up on something. Yep. At that point in time, if I don't take the safety off, I'm, I'm ahead of the game for that day. That's how I look at it. Uh, you know, if you're able to get one to come up and it's a rooster and put it in the bag, icing on the cake. But, you know, it's all that dog work and that interaction between the two of you and him starting to be able to read you and your body language and, you know, yep. you know tell him to go through this fence line and send them down the other side of the fence line and that sort of thing. So, so, so t- tell me like what kind of learning curve were you looking at? I mean, I know that you did the duck hunting with the Chessie and labs there for a little bit and then switched to Wimes. But overall, just your dog training, you know, what was it like tackling it when the $25 pup landed in your lap and then all of a sudden you're getting a Wime, you know, years later and changing from your flushing dog to your pointing dog. Talk to me about the learning curve and how you kind of went about tackling that and getting comfortable in training the dog yourself. For which one of us, the dog or me? <laughs> Either one. You, yeah. you, your pick. Dealer's well, choice. Yeah. So training, I think there's a lot of similarities. And I probably have maybe spent more time than I should have in training my Weimariners some of the same things that I I train my retrievers, for example, although I don't think this is a bad thing, hand signals. Mm-hmm. I think hand signals are hugely important and very easy to train a dog. You know, if, if you've ever seen the game of baseball played with a dog, if you yeah. know what that is. Oh yeah. The diamond. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and as a point here, when I first got that dog, so I'm going to age myself here a little bit. That was 1985, 86. Okay, Al mm-hmm. Gore hasn't even invented the internet. <laughs> so, how do you train so, a dog without YouTube? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, there was a lot of bookstore work, literally. You go to the bookstore and you look to see what kind of dog training books they have. And there was a series of, do- of books written by a guy by the name of Richard Walter. Mm-hmm. W-O-L-T-E-R. Yep. Classic. I mean, Gun dog and water dog. Gun dog, game dog, water dog. Exactly. Yep. And they, they were just great base skills to teach your dog that you could build on later. And one of them was hand signals, for example, whistle training, um, you know, all those things. So there was a lot of things in the retriever world that transferred over to the pointer world as far as managing your dog. If you have a dog that you can't manage, it's going to ruin your hunt or at least, 
or at least interrupt it, let's say. I agree. Okay. So if you have a dog that is ranging out, and sometimes my dog ranges further than he should, and I, I have to remind him, I can't hit anything that far, Hans. <laughs> you know, I'm on back a little bit. Um, you know, so my retrievers were whistle trained with a like a lifeguard whistle. Um, and they were great. That that uh, chocolate lab, his name was Gunner. I could I could sit him in a cornfield and I could walk four or 500 yards away and he would sit there and then I could bring him in part way with the whistle and stop him part way, bring him in some more, stop him part way. He would sit, he would sit at 300 yards, 200 yards, whatever. I think it's important to, to, to without racking your brain or the dog's brain to strive to achieve something like that. Some, some kind of discipline that you can then build on later. Mm-hmm. Cause if you got a dog that's, you know, taken off or chasing something he's not supposed to, and you can stop him with a single whistle blast, that's valuable. It can, it can actually save your hunt, you know, not, it's even more so it's, it's more than just the enjoyment of the hunt, right? Well, you know, and a, a good obedient dog, uh, is a lot more enjoyable to hunt with than, than a crazy dog is just bouncing all over the place. But, you know, if you have that dog that breaks in a certain situation, you being able to stop with a single whistle or command can actually save your, your hunt and, and save an experience with birds and a contact, uh, to where if you just let it go, it could keep on going and busting birds or flare the next group or, or whatever. The dog could end up running across the road. If you're in that area too, where, yep. Yeah. Safety concerns so, for yeah. sure. So the transition or the training for me, um, I think I used a lot of the same, let's say, disciplines of control. Um, well, dog right training now, is dog training, right? You know, the task may ch- dog training is dog training. The task may change, but yes. at the, at the end of the day, the principles are still the same principles. Correct, correct. And I think with pointers. You know, you're relying a lot of the on the natural ability. Yes. You know, they got that that sensor on the end of their nose, man. <laughs> and as soon as they get onto it, typically they're going to lock up. I yep. mean, I remember, I remember my first uh, Weimaraner, uh, Boomer. First time he saw a bird on a piece of barbed wire, he looks up at it, and all of a sudden he locks up. I didn't teach him to do that. On a piece well, of barbed wire, was the bird just perched on it? Yeah, a, okay. like a sparrow or something like that. Uh, all right. I didn't know if somebody like shot it and hung it on a barbed wire or something. <laughs> I wanted some clarification on that. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, what yeah. kind of training method was this? <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, a lot of it, but, but again, they've got that natural base that's intuitive to them. You've got to expand on that yes. and work on that. And, you know, it comes in with teaching them woe because, you know, when you teach a dog woe, that's also confidence to him. Okay dad is saying whoa that means we're getting into birds that means i gotta back off and some good stuff is going to happen here in the next couple seconds hopefully yeah so absolutely they start to to correlate that they start to correlate you know hey every time he says whoa the next thing is this flurry of wings yeah so let me ask you, so it's, it's you know, we talk about it all the time, pointing dogs' natural abilities, you know, encourage good, discourage the bad, but overall, let the dog's genetics and natural ability take over, get the heck out of the way, right? 
So when you went to training your dog, did you rely mostly on just bird contacts when it came to the actual hunting ability and training? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I save, I think I know what you mean, but, but I, I save bird wings for training mm -hmm. so that when we are doing retriever type things, he has that scent to, to, to key on. Um, you can't beat live birds. Yep. So if you can either get out during the hunting season, the more you can get out and get on the birds. Um, it just, it, it instills and develops a dog so much quicker and better. The more you can put them on birds. I mean, that's just a given. Yeah. Uh, um, going to game farms. It's, there's no challenge there, but it's great training for the dog. Yeah. So, no, um, absolutely. Um, now, Pennsylvania, do you guys still have any actual wild bird population? I know you guys do the, the pheasant release program, but do y'all have an actual, like, established wild population still? We do not. Okay. Um, if you go back to what the, the years I was mentioning in the 80s and 90s, I would say up until about mid-90s, we still had, within a walking distance of where I live, and I'm 10 minutes north of the Allentown Airport, um, there were still wild pheasants around. Um, but from like the mid nineties on the farming practices, pesticides, insecticides, yeah. hawks, fox, coyote, you know, all those things have contributed to, um, the I've downfall. not seen, a, a, yeah, I've not seen a wild pheasant here in Pennsylvania, um, in 15, 20 years. So. Just just out of curiosity, are you aware of any programs or attempts to bring wild populations back, or is it just kind of everybody's kind of accepted it for what it is and just going with the released uh, bird program? No, they actually do have a pheasant restoration project that they're trying to do, and I don't know the exact location. There, it's out in the middle of the state somewhere where they have an area sectioned off. You're not allowed to pheasant hunt on it, um, and they're trying to bring them back under under those circumstances. Um, it, it's it's unique to Pennsylvania. We've got about three million acres of property that is public that you can hunt on and that's and that's a bunch you know yeah. we're you know i was in iowa a couple couple weeks ago beginning of november uh actually like a month ago and um they're a bigger state than us but i know they don't have as many acres of public hunting land but they got a lot more bird habitat for pheasants yeah okay we have a lot of timber so mm -hmm. um that property i mentioned about my uncle's up in bradford county there's a, a state game land that borders his property. That's 19,000 acres. You know, that's just to give you an idea of, of some of the, uh, yeah. the property here. So pheasants are not, are not, um, how do I say real conducive to Pennsylvania anymore? Gotcha. Uh, tur turkeys actually have come back significantly with, you know, at the same time of the demise of the pheasant here, <laughs> turkey, turkeys <laughs> have come back. That, that that tends to be a, a commonality in a lot of areas to where I know down here it's like you go you go to a, a quail forever banquet or something there's always somebody talking about how turkeys are the reason for the downfall of the quail in the southeast right uh, that it's you know that may be a small contributing factor it's not the main one but uh, it does pop up its its head here and there um, and 
ironically too pennsylvania's never had like large sections of prairie grass like iowa does for example but we did have pheasants but we had different habitat we had you know thick fence rows and, and when i say a fence row i don't mean like a, a a section of barbed wire on posts i'm talking about like a tree line that might have been i don't know maybe 10 yards wide with the tops of trees that have fallen off over years and the farmers would throw rocks in the tree line and everything and you could walk <laughs> down a tree line after corn was cut and and flush a bunch, bunch of pheasants um but even that's now somewhat gone because they either eliminate tree lines or they they farm right up against them yeah and again insecticides pesticides all those things so yep absolutely so chris you know you kind of have a unique perspective and you just kind of fell into your your labs and chessies and, and you went from an avid duck hunter to an avid uplander with with uh your wimes you know kind of Break it down. Give give your number one piece of advice for somebody that's that may just be starting out. Because again, with your unique perspective, you literally you had to make a concerted effort to go to a bookstore or a library to figure out how to train your dog. To where nowadays we can just plug it in on our phones, and, and you know you come away with more information than what you could gather in a library in a lifetime. Right. So give us your perspective of what's what's Chris's number one tip for somebody looking to get their first dog or just got their first dog and want to get started. A plant hunting, right? Um, mm-hmm. I guess I would say, try to understand if you're going to want to have, well, your the, fork, the first fork in the road is pointer or flusher. Yeah. Okay. So you've got to decide there. And that, I think, is more dictated by your style of hunting. Are you a track star or do you like to really pick your way through cover? Okay. Yeah. Uh, For example, Hans doesn't range very far for me. Um, 40 yards top. And that's when I remind him, hey, I can't hit anything past 40 yards, you know. <laughs> um, and that's that's where the training and the discipline comes in, where I just I just beep the collar, no stimuli, just just a beep, which replaces my whistle. I don't have to yell and be rude out in the field or anything like that. Um, and I bring him in. So you have to decide, am I going to want to, do I want a pointer or do I want a flusher? And I, like I said, I think that's dictated by your style of hunting. If you like to really run and gun, then you might be headed towards a flusher. If you like to plod and pick and really scour the cover slowly, I think a pointer. Okay, but that's see, me, see, and that's my particular breed. And that's that's why I love doing these bonus episodes because. I, I think it's fascinating that somebody that's been in the gun dog world for as many years as you have. Don't me, say I'm in. <laughs> me, me and you have differing opinions on that right there, right? Is I would say the exact opposite. If you want to run a gun, get a flushing because that goes at the pace of you. You can go, 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 go. But also the pointing dog, it's just like to me, I don't care if you range out 100 yards because you're task is to point the dog you know i'm not shooting a bird that you bump anyway but that's why i love doing these profiles to highlight the fact that everybody hunts different 
everybody's right. preference is different. It's neither right nor wrong. Like the only the only time it's a pass fail situation is in a testing situation. But right. we're talking about hunting, and that's your style of hunting, right? And and who's who's to say that you're wrong in that? No, I, I agree. I agree. Everybody's, you know, I hiked part of the Appalachian Trail, and there's a phrase that that runs up and down the trail: "Hike your own hike." Yes. Meaning, you want to hike 20 miles, hike 20 miles. If you want to do eight, do eight. If you want to carry 50 pounds, you know, whatever it is. I think that type of philosophy easily transfers over into hunt your own hunt. Yes. Okay. If I want to hunt and I won't shoot a dog or shoot yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you don't shoot a dog. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, 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 I want to shoot, only want to shoot a bird that... Um, Terry Redland would have painted a situation and had a, had, a, had a pointing dog there and a sunset in the back and so on and so forth. And yep. those are the only birds I'll ever shoot. That's great. That's your hunt. Hunt your own hunt. Yep. If, if you want to just get out with your dog, be a team with your dog and put birds up, bring some birds home. That's your style of hunting. Exactly. You do whatever you want. So, yep. I always say, I'll, and we can close it out on this is, you know, the way I put it is as, as long as it's safe, legal, and fun, have right. at it. It, right. it doesn't impact my life or how I train or hunt my dogs in the slightest. I just respect the same courtesy back my way. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, the, the fact of the matter is, too, the best part about it is the dogs don't know when we mess up. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Case in point, the last day I was in Iowa, it was uh, winter came to Iowa that day. I think it was about November 12th or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, Hans and I were in some cattails and actually uh, met a, a guy from uh, Tennessee and him and his dog Arlo. We were out <laughs> together. Zach. I know Zach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he has a Weimariner too. Yep. And uh, we were into some cattails and. Uh, his dog had some paw issues and he was heading back to the car and Hans and I were making this pass through this cattails and we started putting, putting birds up. Some of them were out of range. They heard us coming, um, but it was spitting snow 30 or 40 miles an hour. Uh, we were living the dream and uh, I get to a point and I, I stop for a minute there because I don't like to keep moving if I don't know where he is because then he starts looking for me and we, we might miss some cover or something. So I stay put for a while and I'm waiting and waiting and like I don't know where he is, so I started heading in the direction that I saw him last, and I get about twenty yards away from him. And I can see him through the through the cattails. He's wearing his orange vest, and there he is, locked up. Hmm. And I'm like, well, no wonder you didn't come over to where I was, right? Yeah. So as I cover that last twenty yards, two hens get up between me and him, and he doesn't move, and he's still locked up, and I can see it in his eyes. He's like. No, there's one more here. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, oh boy, I hope this is a rooster. Cause it's our last day too. Yeah. And, and sure enough, up gets this rooster. I miss. Ah. Uh, okay. But you know what? We still had another, I don't know, couple hundred yards to hunt. He hunted at this with the same intensity, the same desire, the same joy as he did when he flushed that bird or I flushed that bird. Yeah. But you know, did he know I missed? Probably not. 
<laughs> yep. He still had a good time. I was more upset than he was. You know? Oh, yeah. No, and that that's going to live with you longer than him. And, and, you know, to be perfectly honest, you know, I'm not the best with words and not to romanticize it a little bit, but I think there's a lesson somewhere in there for all of us with uh, just how we live our lives from day to day anyway. Yeah. So. That's- well, Chris, I, I, I appreciate you coming on, kind of sharing your, your story and what got you into the gun dog world and, and you know, your preferences on, on how you hunt and your style and stuff like that. You know, uh, we'll, we'll have to circle back around and keep in touch. Sure. Uh, I am on Instagram. If anybody wants to see pictures of Hans <laughs> under the handle of Uncle Duffer's Doggy Boot Camp. <laughs> Uncle Duffer's Doggy Boot Camp. Got it. Right. Well, right. Again, Chris, I appreciate you making the time for us, and we'll talk soon. You bet. Very good. Take care, Nick. Yep. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.